Welcome, everybody, to episode 18 of Recovery Machine. We're here with Sheldon Wilson, who happens to be a good, really good friend of mine. We met, uh, if you remember, back in episode one, I uh, told us a story about a guy who told me that I was heading down the wrong path, asking too many questions in rehab, and I was going to get kicked out. This is the gentleman right there. How are you doing, Sheldon? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me out. Well, thanks for doing this. Uh, as always, joined by my co-host, Corey. How are you doing today, Corey? Good morning. Yeah, I'm doing really well, Nathan. Good to see you again, Sheldon. I'm looking forward to this episode. It's uh, it's such an important story to tell. I'm really looking forward to this one because it's uh, we're providing providing a, a a bit of a different angle than we have in the past, and I think providing this angle fill will fill in a lot for for people who are listening. Well, hopefully, I uh, don't disappoint. Uh, I have uh, no training just opinions i don't do a lot of research i, I just have my own opinions and experiences to go off of so well i think the the way those opinions are put forth is with such confidence that it you you know training really just doesn't matter in your uh, <laughs> in your rare circumstance so yeah i think this like you said Corey, this is probably one of the more important ones we do just to to show people a different kind of route that you can go and that there's, I think the more angles we take on this and it, it can be really frustrating when you're, you're in that, we were just discussing what it's like to be in that first year when you've been sent to treatment and your, your head spinning, you're at home, you don't know what's going on. You're being told a lot of strange things, having direction and being able to still have faith in yourself at that time is very important. And the other thing is to remember, like you were saying the other day, Sheldon, there's always other options. You don't have to do what, uh, you know, is, there's an emphasis on going back to work. We know that regardless of your circumstances, there seems to be a push and they want generally you're, you're requested to go back to work and, and you're, you're guided in that direction, but it's not always necessary. And I don't think it's always the safest way. So for this uh, little segment, we're going to get Corey's going to ask the majority of the uh, the questions. And uh, so we'll just go over your history a little bit. And then we're going to focus mostly on what you're doing now, what's working for you, and how you got to, to where you are now. So, yeah, if you're okay with that, Sheldon, we'll, uh, we'll get going. Yeah, let's get her started. All right. Cool. So Sheldon, we want to just provide a little bit of context about where you're at now. Geographically, where are you in, in Canada and what, what is, what keeps you busy? What are you doing out there? Uh, I live in Southern Ontario, uh, basically Hamilton, uh, in that general area. Uh, I sell real estate. I have a pretty good business. Um, have, uh, two sales agents, uh, under our banner, um, two administrative staff and a staging side business uh, with staff there and um, uh, have a family that's much more important to me. Uh, three beautiful children, a beautiful partner and try and take care of myself. That's, that's what we're up to. Yeah. How old's the kids? Uh, they are now three and a half, six and eight. And uh, you know, time flies, time flies. <laughs> Yeah, you're a busy guy. 
too busy probably to be very honest yeah <laughs> yeah and somehow um you're also trying to do a little bit of uh fitness stuff and you're actually you've got uh kind of a regimen going there i know you're saying you're having some trouble this week with uh discipline and timing and stuff like that but to do everything you're that you're doing and then being able to commit to any kind of fitness on top of that's pretty impressive you got more energy than i do well i and we'll get into that a little more. I really think that it is the fitness regimen and the self-care and the self-love and, and taking time to make that the highest priority and, and, and really understanding that. I mean, we, you, you hear it said, and I hundreds of times, you've got to put on your own oxygen mask before somebody else's, but nobody, very few people do. Mm. And uh, I don't know, again, if it's a, a, a trait or a tendency of, of people with our issues, um, but very rarely in my life have I ever said like, no, this is important to me. I'm doing this and this is number one. And by doing this number one thing, everything else is falling in line so much better. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And I'm, I'm excited to share, share that. And I'm really grateful for the people in my life that have pushed me to do that. Um, and how I try and pay it forward is, is by in, encouraging others to do the same thing. You must put yourself first, whatever that means for you. You, you just have to. I, yeah. I think it is a trait. I, and I, it's, uh, it's one that I, I've seen sort of resistance from, from some folks about, or like to, to kind of like make that connection where they really buy into that and see that the other things do come into place and that it's not actually selfishness that 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 self-care and that you know prioritizing your own your own the things that are going to keep you grounded that that's not about being selfish that it's actually you have more to give to the other people in your world if you do that i couldn't say it better so so sheldon let's go back a little bit we want to talk about your your history in healthcare and we'll get to the the big some of the big changes that you you've made the pivots but you were a a practical nurse and in in Ontario it's called a, a registered practical nurse out here in BC it's a licensed practical nurse so can you can you take us through how you got into healthcare and and what that what that looked like when when you were working as a nurse yeah so um i was in edmonton uh, i was in university i had a a head injury and took a year off of university. Uh, going back to university didn't really make sense at the time. And so I was encouraged to get into the nursing field. I kind of wanted, like, really enjoyed medicine and and uh, anatomy stuff. And so I got my practical nursing diploma out in Edmonton, and I got one of the best jobs I think any practical nurse in Alberta could have had. Uh, I was on a pediatric cardiology ward, high, high-level acuity, dealing with, you know, very, very cutting edge um, healthcare. And uh, I mean, I had a great experience there overall, um, no issues whatsoever. Um, and then moved on to get my registered nurse in Ontario um, and moved to Hamilton with my partner at the time, who was also a registered nurse. And uh, I started Started my nursing degree in Ontario. Um, started working as a surgical trauma practical nurse, and that that went fine. I mean, it was a very very different experience from working in pediatrics. Still, you know, I, 
I, I, I took a lot of pride in being a great nurse. And I say that a little tongue in cheek because everybody always says they're a great nurse <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're talking <laughs> to people and you're like, no, you're, you really aren't a good nurse. Um, but I had the support of the, the other really good nurses around me. I mean, I, you guys know what I'm talking about. The, the, the really good people tend to stick together and they were, you know, if, if they needed you, I would get pulled into a higher acuity area. I would give higher acuity assignments. Um, it was very, you know, I was, uh, I felt very lucky and, and very appreciated, I guess. Well, that's a testament to, to you, Charlotte. I mean, the, and, and just to be, to be clear, you and I, have, we've never, our, our nursing paths have never crossed, but, but it, that's kind of an unusual set of roles for a practical nurse to be in and to it's a testament to the quality of a nurse you were that you were given those responsibilities. Those are not typical practical nurse settings. So you were clearly a very, very competent and qualified to be in those areas. Yeah. I thank you for that. Um, I, and I, I do, I, I would agree. I mean, it, the getting into the weeds a little bit, the practical nurse two-year diploma had just come out that, that time and they were just allowing practical nurses in those acute care settings. And our scope of practice was increasing at a dramatic pace um, with a lot of discomfort from and pushback from the RNs sometimes. So that made for a very uncomfortable work environment sometimes. Um, but again, like, it, you know, it, it, it was, it was good to, to know that you were doing well. So. And what year was that, Sheldon? Oh, that's tough. Maybe 2007-ish. Okay. Just before yeah. the Great Recession. Yeah. Maybe How did you find the, um, the, the work in terms of, you know, working in a trauma setting, working with very sick children? What was that like for you? What, what was the impact of, on that for you emotionally and, and spiritually? That was, that's heavy work. It is really heavy work. And I think, I think it's interesting because you, I, I found a lot of nurses, including myself, just desensitize and shut it off. So it didn't really impact me that much. Um, you know, there were a couple of things that will always stick out in my mind, you know, doing, um, doing compressions on an eight-year-old who's turning blue and then black and we saved his life. Um, but that, that doesn't go away. Um, we had, you know, seeing some, some stuff with seizure, seizure behavior, um, infant death. Um, those things are tough. Um, when I got into adults, um, you know, putting people in body bags, uh, those, some of those things still stick with you. Um, and, and some of the really, just the really sad stories. I don't, I don't know if there was too many tasks. I mean, I've had my hands in people's abdomens, you know, I've had kind of horrible tasks to perform. That stuff didn't stick with me, but, you know, uh, 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 maybe a 55 year old father of two that came in with a sore back. He thought he hurt himself, um, carrying, carrying a canoe and found out he had bone cancer and passed away in three weeks, you know, like that stuff will never like, you, you just can't shake it. Right. I, I would, I mean, I can go on with those kind of stories. I want to, you know, confidentiality and whatever. I don't want to say too many things with things, but you know, that, that stuff is really hard. 
Yeah, same. Those are things that that uh, that don't that don't leave. That for me, they've I've been able to kind of work through some of them, and they they look a little bit different in my mind than they did immediately after. But but yeah, they're just they they change the fabric of of who we are. I think. I would agree, and it, it's it's one of those like at a very slow pace and a very. I, I don't know what the right. I don't know what the right words are. Right, like it happens without your knowledge. Right. And you just look up one day and you're like, how are you so cold? Right. Um, you know, I can, I can, I can, maybe I'll share a story. I don't know if it'll, it'll work or not, but my, my ex uh, ICU nurse, uh, they had a, again, without getting into many details, little, little child was not going to survive. And, and the majority of the nurses in the ICU were like, why won't the family pull the plug on this kid? And they're just, they were, they were really frustrated with the family. And they were really cold and, and, and really, really brutal. Um, and they were at my house kind of talking about this, like a bunch of, um, you know, nurses talking about how they, they should just do these things. And this family's unreasonable. And I, I got up and I, I got really angry. And I, I was like, do you hear yourselves? That this family who had a deep religious belief has a, a, a child that looks perfectly healthy laying there. And you don't have the compassion to understand what it takes for them to pull the plug on that kid. What's wrong with you? Like, seriously, what's wrong with all of you? And I walked out and slammed the door. And, um, but it was, I was a little bit removed from my nursing at that point, just a little bit, but enough to know, like, that's an insane conversation. Do you know, did you notice that too, Corey, the kind of like the, uh, the frog in the slowly increasing temperature pot of water type situation where you're, you're kind of getting colder and you're not noticing it, or you're building up some sort of, you know, obviously human beings got to put up some kind of walls to that, to what you're seeing on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And uh, I remember when I, you know, the, within the first couple of years of being an ER nurse, having some, some incidents that were really, heavy and it impacted me and where I really felt them. But then when I think that, you know, again, that gradual increase in temperature, fast forward a few years and like, it, I knew that things were, were hitting me hard, but I couldn't force out a tear or like force myself to feel it uh, in the same way that I would have a couple of years prior. Um, and, and that wasn't me. Like th that was the thing was, it was like, I was a, uh, quite a sensitive person, but like I, things that should, that should have been felt more fully. I was quite, quite cold and callous too. And I think that's just our brain's way of protecting us too. That like, as we see these things repeatedly, we, we, if we, if we absorbed all of them and felt all of them in their fullness, we would break or we would, well, <laughs> and as we will get to like the, the, that are, we find a way around that, I think. So maybe, and maybe that's a, a segue there, Sheldon. So can you, can you tell us how, how that, uh, how your, your path in nursing then led you towards opiate use? So, um, you know, I had dabbled in, in substances and it, it's actually an interesting, hmm. It's an interesting story. Let's, you're right. Let's just stick with the nursing component. Um, 
the short story is that I, I play rugby, uh, play fairly high level at one time. Um, I, I tore my MCL and did some damage to my knee. I uh, called in sick for the shift, you know, that night and probably the next two nights. By Monday, I was fitted for a knee immobilizing brace. And by Wednesday, I was back in at work in absolute agony and loaded up on Percocet. Um, you know, I'm sure that if I had said I wanted some time off, I could have taken it. Um, I was on a, I was on like a, a full-time part-time schedule. Um, so I wouldn't have had any income if I did take time off. Um, so I just worked through the pain and discomfort, which was no, no different, no, no, nothing new for me. I mean, I was a, a hockey player, a rugby player, athlete, a work in pain. It wasn't a big issue. I had to figure out how to bend cause I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't bend my knee. Um, but you know, uh, it, it just was what it was. So, um, it was a really logical kind of process for me. The, the Percocets cost a lot of money. I had prescriptions, good, large volume prescriptions. I was in a lot of pain. I was, I'm a big guy. Um, but hospital wastage is free. Um, and you know, doing subcutaneous injections, when you're, when you're doing subcutaneous injections, 20, 30 times a shift for years on end, you, you're completely desensitized to a needle like that, that in, I know that people outside are like, you use needles. I'm like, I use needles every day, dozens and dozens of times a day. So it's, it's that environment that just says, well, this is not a scary thing. And it's a nice little clear liquid. It's just water. It's benign. It's, it's nothing. Um, it should probably be in like a, a evil villain movie where it's like neon green or something or <laughs> bright red, like this is scary shit. Um, so I started injecting uh, subcutaneous uh, uh, Dilaudid um, and morphine. The morphine made me itchy. So I just stayed with the Dilaudid. Um, yeah. And I was shocked at how well that worked to manage my pain in very small quantities, two, three times on a 12 hour shift. Um, I probably wasn't even taking the Percocet when I was at work because the Dilaudid was working extremely effectively to manage my pain. That's a, that's a really interesting point that we haven't kind of looked at before is how you're kind of being induced to normalizing needle use in that environment. I've never considered that before, but, and it, it is something that's crossed my mind a few times. Like how, how is it that so many nurses I mean, for all intents and purposes, they look like upstanding citizens and it so easily go down that route when for me, uh, that I think that would have taken a little more. I would have, I would have had to been in, uh, kind of deeper waters to get me to cross over to that. And that's, it's gotta be because you're just so damn used to using the things. Well, uh, that's exactly what it is. It's environment and what you do on a consistent basis is, is what determines who you are, what you're about, what you believe. It's, it's not what you do once in a while. It's what you do on a, on a regular basis. So if you're consistently interacting with needles, then it, it, it makes sense. Right. I mean, it really does. Yeah. 
you think about smoking, how, how is it, how insane is it to put a, a stick of weeds in your mouth and light that on fire and inhale the smoke? Like <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, but if you're around that kind of stuff and it's normalized, then you do it, but it's abs, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no. So yeah. Like if, when I, I, you think about it, like just to, to provide, um, some context for people. I mean, at least for myself, I think when I was working in the ER on a 12 hour shift, say like I would, it wouldn't be unusual to, to give other people between maybe 25 and 40 needles a day or or, or more or more. And, and, and so it's that it's that normal. (laughs) Right. And your, your needles are going, you're using needles to fill up saline bags, many, 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 mini med bags, and you're giving heparin injections. Like it's all, I mean, it's just desensitized in that environment. Yeah. So uh, that's where it started. Um, And then I, I was in the middle of uh, that summer, I was in the middle of doing a major home renovation. Uh, I had just separated from my partner in a very ugly relationship um, and, and I was at a, an emotional low, uh, I was at a financial low and I just kept working through the pain and I needed to get this renovation done because we had bought the house together and I, we needed to sell the house to separate our lives. And so, you know, well, Delauded works well at work at, at the hospital to get me through the day. And I've, I've got this big renovation to do with a knee brace on, well, I'll just use Delauded at home. Well, then September rolled around and I still had the renovation to do. And I was still working at the hospital and I was still pretty low in my emotional level. Well, the lot it keeps me up and I can study. So now I'm studying full time. I'm working full time, almost straight nights. I can stay up for 36, 48 hours without any real issue. Um, and my partner is like, well, hey, I love this production you're getting and you're getting the house renovation done. And um, we had gotten back together, which, which was uh, an, an interesting um, conclusion or decision. Um, but, uh, you know, so here I am and it's like September, October and I'm, I'm using Dilaudid daily, certainly, probably... Uh, you know, maybe three or four injections a day, one to two milligrams, very on pace with what would be a safe, healthy dosage and maintaining an extremely productive life, you know, top, top marks at school, top uh, getting tons done around the house and everything's going tickety boo at work. Everybody's happy except me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ex- except me. And I, I knew I was starting to get in trouble. So it brings you back up. I mean, that's, there's a common thread between the three of us and certainly in many other people that I think all three of us have talked to that, that it, it, for that, for that honeymoon period, even if you're unhappy and I was unhappy even in the honeymoon period, but it does in terms of performance, it does kind of compensate and let you lets you be hyperproductive and fill in all these other gaps in your life and, 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 and manage it for that period of time. It does. And I think it's like a lot of other drugs that, that we take that are prescribed or not prescribed alcohol, marijuana, um, um, all of the Ativans and Lorazepams and 
all of those uh, benzos, uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications. Uh, I really think that they're all just sedatives. They, they, there are some people that need them, but I think the vast majority of people in society are, are aware that they are so uncomfortable with the world around them, the jobs that they're in, the lifestyles that they're being told to live, um, that they're not okay. Their body and mind is saying, I'm not okay with this. This something should change. This isn't what we're supposed to be doing. And we either compensate by self-medicating even food is a huge one. Uh, food, cannabis, alcohol would be your most common. Um, or we go to the prescription pills and you get the same, same solution. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it's a good point And it's one we've kind of discussed a little bit, but you, under these circumstances, um, maybe a little more so these days, I don't know every generation has had their they're kind of struggles, but we're making the decision to continue to go on sort of like you did to continue to go on with that brace and, yeah. and just keep working. Right. That's what our society is doing in general. I think is instead of stopping, slowing down and looking around and starting to make noise about the fact that many of us are um, maybe having trouble sleeping at night because of anxiety or, our relationships, we, we can't understand why we can't connect properly, um, these types of things. And I, I think it's it's all to do with how many, like is, if you're going to call everything like that a sedative, I think that's an easy way of doing it. It's just, uh, you know, how many of these crutches are people willing to use? And I mean, this is not a judgment against those decisions. It's completely understandable why mm-hmm. people do that especially given the pace of our society and what we're expected to do and the pressures of every day, you know, uh, like what you're doing with the, you're trying to raise a family, you've got a business, you've got, um, you know, you're trying to keep your body in some sort of shape so that you've got some longevity and energy. All these things require planning, time, emotional energy, spiritual energy, and not everybody is born with a in extent, you know, just an inexhaustible wealth of that stuff. It, uh, it's got to come from somewhere or the alternative is to basically collapse, right. And, and let everything kind of fall apart. And that's, I think, uh, a lot scarier for most people than just adding another crutch. I think that's exactly it. And I know, um, towards the end of my, my hospital time that that was it, you know, like, I'm going to let everybody down my whole, this whole thing is going to come crashing down around me and and not having the realization that that's exactly what needed to happen and build Mm -hmm. back better. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that was probably, you know, fall of 2010 was, you know, I was using regularly, but I was managing everything pretty fine. We got into new the new year of 2011 i think i i could be a year off it doesn't matter so into the the next year so i'd been using for you know nine months straight every day and uh i started taking medication home and um you know never ever ever missed a patient dose you don't have to do that and there's a huge misperception or misbelief that you're stealing patients dosages that that doesn't happen. You don't need to, there's an abundance of narcotic everywhere. Um, and, and to be honest, they, the hospital does not track it, monitor it. It is 
unbelievably easy to steal as much as you want without any master, great mastermind uh, <laughs> of doing it. Um, and they just use those Pixis machines to look back in the data and be like, oh, we know that you took this many. I mean, you've been doing it for a year. Yeah. Awesome. I, I, I would steal 20 vials at a time on a unit that wasn't my unit and just add, I'd pull up any random patient and add Dilaudid to their med profile and take out as many vials as I wanted because <laughs> I was trying to get caught. I was like, how unbelievable can I be so that you'll help me? Did you have that thought, Sheldon, like that? A hundred percent. By the yeah. end, I was a hundred percent there. So, um, so yeah, back into the spring, things were starting to fall apart. I was using more. I was emotionally uh, unstable. Uh, school was, I was doing fine scholastically, um, but relationships were not good. Um, I think, no, that's, I, I went, uh, yeah, I got, I got, I got clean for a little bit in May. Uh, went off for a, a because I, I was traveling. I was going to Turkey uh, with a friend and uh, with my partner. Uh, we got actually got engaged in Turkey while we were there. Um, so I was clean there, but I, I didn't feel great because I was uh, still um, in uh, post-acute withdrawal, which I would learn about later. Um, How did you, uh, did you do like a, a cold turkey? Yeah, just cold turkey. Just okay. cold turkey. So how was how is the cold turkey coming off? Uh, it was right not now? good. It was not good. Um, but it, it was more like just emotional lability. Like I wasn't using a huge amount at that time. Um, you know, maybe, again, maybe 10 mils a day, maybe, um, which isn't that much. 10 milligrams a day is a, a reasonable, re- I think, a reasonable dosage of any pain-relieving substance. Um but, you know, I mean, I really wasn't in pain, physical pain anymore at that point. I was exercising with my knee and I was, um, I remember in, in Istanbul, I was taking jogs in the morning before people got out of bed. And so, you know, it was fine. But as soon as I got back, I went back to work at the hospital because I was like, okay, I'm cured. It's been three weeks, a month. Like, I'm not going to take this ever again. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't tell you how long it took because I don't remember, <laughs> but it, it wasn't more than a shift or two or three. Um, and I was using again. I made the uh, same mistake. Yeah I, yeah, I thought, okay, I, I cold turkey, gave myself a month, all fixed. Right. Let's get get back at her. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I've got a, a pretty good willpower. I, I can just grit it out pretty hard for whatever needs to be done. Um, anyway, so I went back to work, and here we go again, right back into the roller coaster. Um. So in the fall, um, I was using quite a bit and I, I had tried to taper off in the summer. Um, didn't really go very well. Um, by the time we got to the fall, I, my, my use was ramping up. My relationship was, uh, ending and in a very, very, uh, bad way. Um, like we, yeah. It was, um, it was really messy. Um, and I think I just, you know, friendships were deteriorating around me and that's when I, I really went off the deep end. So in this, at the end of the summer, 
when I was, I was tapering, I was down to about two milligrams a day. I had somebody helping me with it and I was pretty confident I could get off. And then my relationship started falling apart and some other things were happening and I started using more. And so then I was probably up to like 20 milligrams a day in September. And by October, when, when I got caught, I guess is, is the best term. I was using 80 milligrams a day, every day. Wow. Um, you know, my, my partner would wake me up and be like, Hey, you're not breathing or like, are you okay? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. And I would go and I would go to the bathroom and shoot up again because I was upset that I was blue or not breathing. And, um, you know, you hear it a lot on all these podcasts. I didn't want to die, but I was okay. If I died too, I didn't, mm. didn't care. Yeah. That's, that's how it goes. I think you get to that point where you're just, you're so exhausted with fighting that battle and it, I think it takes something out of you realizing that you're, you're, you're throwing every resource you've got at this thing and it's still winning. Yeah. You know? And, and by that time, like I had, I had quit three times, pretty much quit three times and gone back to work and been right back into it. And I remember coming back um, the second time I had quit, I came back from a, I took a trip out, out to Alberta to get clean. And I came back and I was like, I don't think I can do the school and the nursing and the renovations and whatever else we're doing in my life. Like I'm too busy. And I was talking to my partner. I was like, I cannot do any more of this. Um, and she's like, well, you got to, that's the life we live and you've got to figure out how to do it. Mm. And I remember going to work the next day and being like, okay, I know how to do this all. And I just started injecting again and, uh, you know, away you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. And then, and then I realized like there was no way I was going to be able to kick this myself uh, at the end of the summer there. And that's when I started ramping up and I was like, well, they've got to catch me now. I mean, I, I, I don't even, I, again, I don't know if this is really appropriate, but like my, my partner for, for everything I, she did wrong. I, I've done plenty wrong. She took away all my nursing scrubs. So I couldn't go into the hospital when I wasn't working and steal um, narcotics. So I just went in in business clothes. And they, I don't know what they thought. Like I was, uh, you know, wearing dress pants and a dress shirt and just taking meds from the pixies. I went in there in pajamas one time and stole because I was just that desperate. I just didn't care. People were like, what's this guy doing in his sweatpants and pajama shirt, taking meds out of the pixies system, but nobody said anything. And I'm waiting for the phone call. It's like, Hey, what were you doing? (laughs) Like, you know, was you, it on was it on a ward that you were like recognized on, or were you on a different ward? Just you're in your pajamas, you go back there, and so you know, with being very authentic and, and honest here, on my ward, I would take medication out of the Pixis system under my patients' names, under other patients' names. Um, I would take medication out of the Sharps container that was just left there. I would take medications that were just left laying around the the, the half used vials. Um, and then I would go into the other units and I would take medication, especially when I was coming in off work hours, uh, I'd come in and take medications out of the ICU at midnight or one in the morning or whatever, when the hospital was a little quieter, but I, I mean, I, I come in at four in, in business clothes, four o'clock in the afternoon and, and just take it out of the ICU machine. Right. Like that was kind of, it was in, it was, it was insane that nobody 
because I had to log, like, why was my login logging into the yeah. ICU? And nobody said a word that like, well, he keeps logging into the ICU Pixis for 12 months. And the only drug he ever needs to take out is Dilaudid. And that drug is in every other ward in the hospital, mm. you know? So I don't blame the hospital. I screwed up. This is, these are a result of my choices and decisions and, and, and flawed thinking. Um, and like they do not do a good job of protecting their staff from their dangerous work environment. I think, I think that's the best way to say it. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. I, mean, it's, I find it to be sad. Like it's, it's sad in that, that, um, and the, the you know, the, I was going to use the term a cry for help and, and I don't want that term to sound, um, in any way, like sort of demeaning or, 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 or negative, but like th- that is pretty overt behavior. And the fact that it w- was unrecognized or unnoticed by the, the powers that be by the pharmacy, by the, you know, even the, the staff working there, like th- that's, I-, I find it to be a sad story. Like, well, I, I think so. And I, you know, I, I think that more people knew what was going on or had inclinations than did, than, you know, not everybody was, head in the clouds. No, my manager, uh, you know, I had some teary conversations with her, which is not, you know, not normal for me. And I, I remember just crying to her and being like, I failed. I was on the phone and I was like, I failed, I failed. And I, she, you know, she didn't ask me, well, what are you failing at? But I think she knew. And she sent me to speak with a therapist and she's like, I have the name of somebody you should speak with. And maybe she was trying to set me up to be like, Hey, here, because we know what's going on and you're going to get tossed. If you have this on record before you get tossed, you'll be able to say, Hey, I'm an addict. I can do this and this and this. Right. Um, There was nurses that were setting me up by putting vials of narcotic and leaving them around the ward or leaving them on top of the Pixis machine. And, and I'm sure like coming back and being like, is it gone? Who took it? Like, Mm. right. But there's always ways you take that, take the drug out, put saline in it, put it back. Yeah. You know, like there's all kinds of ways to just play these stupid games. Um, there was a couple of other uh, nurses who, um, who, you know, they, they talked to me at shift change and I'd, I'd be a little glossy and they're like, you know, I think they were involved in, in other segments of the community and they'd be like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? And they're like, you don't look okay. If you need to talk, I'm here. But it was too subtle for me. Right. I didn't, somebody needed to take me by the hand and be like, are you using drugs? Let's talk because I can help you. Yeah. Right. And so, so one day I I walked in, I think there is that fear, that fear within the, within the healthcare community to have that conversation. Cause I had, I've looked back at the same thing and thought like, how did people not, how could they have possibly not, seen what the hell was going on and, and not pulled me aside. Yeah. I mean, I got to the point where I was wearing a three quarter sleeve uh, shirt under my nursing scrubs because I had to hide the track marks because a porter called me out on having track marks one day. He's like, Hey man, you got a lot of bad bruises there. I know what those are from. You better watch yourself. I was like, Uh, after that, I wore three quarter length sleeves. Wow. Right. Or started using my ankles. That was when I started using my ankles too, because it was, it was I was getting too many bruises and scars on my arms. I I never asked you about this, Sheldon, but 
for me, I think there was a little bit of that where I know towards the end, I, I, I basically did what you were doing in another form where I, I cleaned out the safe. Uh, well, I, I took enough so that there was no question that there was a problem there, but I had tried many, many times to just call the college or call uh, the association and just explain exactly what was going on and kind of get the ball rolling that way. But I would phone, I would get the, the person on the other end and hang up. I just, I don't know why I couldn't do that. I had to do it the way that I did it. And I, I wonder, was there that kind of motivation there as well? Or were you just, you were thinking, I'm just going to go until the wheels fall off or, or the wheels had already fallen off. I was going to go until I died or they caught me okay. because I need, okay. I needed help. I knew I needed help. I, yeah. I had tried to resolve it several times and I couldn't. And look at, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively smart guy. Now, being a smart guy under the influence of a massive amount of narcotics, you're not a smart guy anymore. You think you are, but you're yeah. not. Did my quality of care suffer? Yeah. Was it adequate compared to most other nurses? Sure. And I, I'm not trying to like knock anybody else or be arrogant. Like I didn't have complaints about my quality of care. I had complaints about my personal behavior. I had no patience. I was short tempered with people. I was cruel to people. I, I was not kind always to some patients, you know, the, you know, the patients that try our patients. I, I just lost my, lost it with them. And I'd be like, um, but my, my quality of care, you know, was I hazard to anybody? I don't think so. Um, I was, <laughs> I was still able to, well, it doesn't matter. I was still able to do my job very well. Um, yeah, I, I think nursing is, in, in my experience, it's a uniquely um, unpleasant work environment. Um, but I, I, I didn't mind the job of nursing. I, I, the issue was the, um, the interaction with other staff, um, other, other nurses, other members of the healthcare team. It's just very, very, very negative. Um, it's very unfriendly. It's unsupportive. And it's not just towards me. You would see it with nurses towards other nurses. It's catty. It's cruel. Um, there's not a lot of mentorship or support. Um, and I think like that, that it makes it very lonely. It's very isolated. Um, you know, I, it's, it's that mean girl's attitude. It's very clicky. Um, you know, without, without making it a gender thing, it, it just, it's, it's not a happy place. No. Is that something you noticed as well, Corey? And I wonder if that has a little bit to do with uh, the, the still existing medical hierarchy, which I always point to as something that's, it, it causes a lot of problems yet. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a profession where I think, especially in hospitals, that hierarchy still exists and it gives people almost a free pass to treat people beneath them with a little more disdain. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I can also say I, I, I can take a wild guess, Sheldon, that, that as a practical nurse, you were probably treated poorly by registered nurses or looked, or looked down. Is, is that the case? Yes and no. I mean, I think it's much more of a yeah, there is a hierarchy issue there for sure. And some people like to utilize it. I never, in, in my recollection, I don't feel like I was ever treated poorly by a physician, male or female. Um, 
nurses are a unique um, group of people and they are very, very cruel to one another. Um, I think being a man in a genuine, uh, um, predominantly female field factors in there somewhere. Um, I think being a practical nurse and especially during the time I was working as a practical nurse, there was issues like they're, they're laying off the number of or decreasing the number of RNs on a ward to increase the number of RPNs. Um, that causes some, some frustration and some challenges there. Um, you know, workload because, because I'm a guy, because I was a practical nurse, sometimes I would get, or quite often I would get a very heavy total care assignment. Um, and that pushed several other practical nurses that, that were on that ward into, um, into unhealthy states, into injured states, into unhealthy mental states. And they, they were beat up, right? I mean, it, it's probably worth mentioning that, that there was at least one other nurse while in the year and a half that I worked on that ward, there was at least one other nurse that went off uh, on a narcotic and uh, alcohol issue. Um, and I, you know, I remember because when I got caught, I was like, Hey, now you'll help me just like you're helping her. And they're like, well, every case is different, Sheldon. And that's the first sign I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) Um, but I mean, when I got caught, I was happy. I was like, thank God it's all over. (laughs) Little did I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what yeah. was what happened did you get a phone call finally or or come in come in to see us today Sheldon like what was that what did that look like no I you know they had all of this evidence on me that I got from the police later um, but they actually posted a security guard in a like a uh, what do you call it um, a stakeout and they had a security guard in the hospital posted on a stakeout in the ICU. And I came in one night to steal my meds as per usual. And my, my password didn't work. And I was like, huh. And the security walks up and he's like, is your name Sheldon Wilson? I'm like, yep. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, uh, nothing, nothing at all. And he's like, why are you here? What are you doing? And I was like, I don't have an answer. I'm going to leave. And the security was like already called. They kind of cornered me in the hall. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, why are you here? I'm like, what business is it of yours? This is a, I work here. It's a hospital. Why, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm like, why are you surrounding me like this? Like these rent-a-cop people. I was very upset, <laughs> but I was like, I don't know what you're doing. Um, and they're like, we know why you're here and whatever. I was like, well, are you arresting me? And they're like, no. Okay. Are you detaining me? No. Okay. Then get out of my way. I'm leaving. And I left and I was upset. I was crying. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm busted. Yeah. But that's fine. I mean, I, I really, by the time I got home, I had some drugs still left there and I injected. And I was like, I better try and space this out because I've got to get to from 80 milligrams to zero real <laughs> on fast. real fast with my very <laughs> limited supply here. Um, so it was probably a two-day taper from 80 to zero oh. and no support no support from the hospital, no support from the union, no support from my, um, from anybody, to be honest, I was sick, like, yeah, sick. Like I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I tend to, I tend to be uh, self-deprecating and like, you know, I, I guess I deserved it. It was my choice to get to that point. And during that period of time where you were, you know, going from 80 to zero, there was, you didn't receive any phone calls or uh, nobody reached out from the hospital or 
you know, honestly, that that is really a blur. It'd be hard to tell you the okay. the absolute truth. Um, I mean, somebody probably said like, "Don't come in." Yeah, and okay. I did. I did go in um, probably the two or three days later um, and tried to use my partner's Pixis password um, and tried to steal drugs under her name because I was desperate. I was beyond desperate, right? And that's when I had that decision like, am I going out to use street drugs at this time or am I going to try and figure this out? Because, and I knew if I started using street drugs, I'm dead. Yeah. It's over. Um, so I, that was uh, the barrier for me. I was like, okay, I, I can get through this, but I honestly, I didn't know if I could get through it. Um, so the hospital must have contacted me and said like, Hey, we know what's going on. Stop. The union contacted me and said, you know, we know what's going on. Stop. Um, and you know, we had a, we had a hospital meeting, you know, very quickly. Um, it must've been within two weeks. Um, and I met with the union guy there and he said, you know, what do you want to do? maybe just lay it out all out on the table. And I said, you know, do I need a lawyer? Well, no, we are your lawyer. You know, do, do I need to do this or that? No, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll make sure you're safe. Um, and I remember going into that meeting and they were just like, so what's, what's going on? And I just laid it out all on the table. I was like, I'm sick. I've been struggling with this. I've been trying to quit. I've talked to you about it. I've done this. I've done that. Like, and they asked me questions. I just answered them. And like, I met, I was so sick at that meeting, like shaking, you know, and you know, my, my manager, as she said, you know, I think we've got enough here and Sheldon, we keep beating around the bush, but are, are you going to be okay? Are you going to hurt yourself? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And she's like, well, Sheldon, are you going to kill yourself? And I said, I don't know. And so they made me go and talk to the Emerge doc there. And the Emerge doc was like, yeah, he seems fine. And then, you know, within two days, I, I, I was sitting on a couch cutting myself and trying to bring up enough courage to kill myself. And my, my partner came downstairs and took the knife away from me. Right. And, and then that was, that was pretty scary. And then a couple of days after that, I got arrested. Um, and I was like, why am I getting arrested? Well, the hospital's charging you with theft, $200 worth of narcotic because it's 86, 86 cents a vial. So they had me that they were aware that I had stolen, you know, 250 vials or something. And they arrested me for theft from the hospital. And so I went, I went in and I, I could hear the police saying, oh, you know, he's coming off narcotics. We got to be careful. We'll keep an eye on him. He's on medical or whatever. I spent a night in jail. Um, they questioned me on some stuff. Um, I think they really wanted to know if I was selling it or moving it. Actually, I don't even think that. I think it was just the hospital's way of being like, we don't have to take care of this guy. We can just get rid of him. We're going to use a criminal charge against him. Um, and so uh, I, then I ended up spending another, the, for whatever reason, and you know, you never know how the, the behind the scenes works on this stuff. They, they couldn't get me into the courtroom that day. It was like a, a Wednesday or something. Jesus. And so they were like, well, he's now I've got to go from central to the remand. Like I've, I've never, I mean, I think I was, I was in the drunk tank once when I was 16 years old for one night. Cause I was stupid. Like I've never been in jail. And, um, and so then I got sent to remand for a night. And so there I am, you know, having my, 
my butt checked for contraband, putting on an orange jumpsuit. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Like all I did was take some drugs from my work and I'm sick and I need help and I'm in jail. Like I didn't do anything. Um, that was pretty scary. Um, so you were, you were actively detoxing while this process was going, like you're, you're talking full blown withdrawal while you're in jail and then being transferred to remand. Uh, yeah. I mean, it probably wasn't the worst of the worst. I was probably a couple weeks in, but I was okay. sick. Like I was oh, barely man. eating. Um, I was confused Christ. to what was going on. All of these meetings took place. Um, and all I know about the timeline is that the first week of December, the union brought me in for a meeting with the hospital and they're like, you're terminated. And I was like, what? I thought you guys were going to help me. I thought there was a process here. And they're like, well, we pick and choose who we support. And in your case, your, your length of service and the fact that you're temporary part-time or whatever, we can just abandon you. So good luck, peace. And I'm like, well, what do I do? And they're like, we don't care. Like fuck off and die. We don't, we don't care. Um, and I was like, well, I'm not signing this. And they're like, well, you have to sign. I'm like, right here, it says not under duress. I'm like, I don't know much about what's happening in my life right now, but I'll tell you, I am under duress. Like, I am sick. I am confused. I'm telling you I need a lawyer. And they're like, it's okay if you need to go and take a walk and call whoever you have to call and then come back and sign it. So I did because I was like, I don't care. I don't want to go back and work on that unit again because I couldn't even imagine ever going back there. How incredibly hostile that would be yeah um so I, I gladly signed it well i don't say gladly signed it but i signed it and i was like now what you know it, and i'll back up just a second you know when, when i was trying to get clean in the summer um i asked for support and i was calling all kinds of services i was trying to find uh rehab that didn't cost Thirty to fifty thousand uh, dollars for a stint. I was, um, and I had a friend of mine who was calling too. Very smart, very capable person. And she's like, "How is this so hard? How can I not find you help? Like the only help that that was like go to a twelve step meeting or which which in hindsight I, I should have done, you know. Um, but the guilt and the shame and and the embarrassment, um, and and not knowing where to start." But I had somebody who cared about me very much, working very hard to find supports for me. They were, there were none. And, you know, you're trying to call a phone number and they're like, yeah, we're in California or we're in Phoenix. I'm like, well, why do you have an Ontario number? It was just a rooting number to get somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I, I was, I was ac- actually shocked and, and, and I guess very heartbroken by the lack of access uh, to anything, like anything. And I, I, yeah, it was very sad. So your, your story, this is maybe the most glaring um, example that I've encountered of this ability of the system to pick it. Like you said, to pick and choose when it is treated as a medical condition and treated as an illness versus not. And, and how any employer or, manager or person with any amount of savvy could look at your story and not see someone who was sick and struggling in that moment. Like that was not the behavior of a well person by any stretch. No. And for, for that, for that, for them to be able to sort of 
just disregard that. Toss that. Toss the the, the fact that it was a that you were so unwell. It, it's it's a shocking story. It's pretty sad, right? Um, and it, it's just incongruent with the way they they present it. Yeah. So, um, I was I ended up back in that relationship, and for for credit to her, for her, like she she stood beside me. Um, in some form, one way or another, um, she, <laughs> uh, one way or another, she stood there and, uh, and, and, and didn't completely abandon me. Um, the, I started getting a little bit better. Um, I remember we went to her and I went to Boston. It was in January or February, um, to get away from, all of the chaos and everything. And we, you know, we went snowboarding and, and I was feeling a little bit better um, by then. And, and, you know, we, it, it was, a, it was a good, good trip. And I remember when I was on the trip, I got the phone call that when I got back, I was going to be accepted into Homewood. Um, I was being put through Homewood through the legal system um, mm. because I had legal charges pending and they were putting me through there for the health because it was a healthcare um, practitioner program. Um, so it had like, nothing to do with the, the hospital or the um, union or the union. So they, they really just left you. The hospital union that, that was done. I've oh, had wow. since, since then I've had no contact with the hospital or the union. I always assumed that you ended up in Homewood because of your union. Yeah, so, me too fascinating okay no it was it was through the court system for whatever whatever i don't know i don't exactly know Uh, i had i hired a good lawyer um (laughs) i should say he i I actually believe he's a great lawyer but um he was an expensive lawyer that's why i hired him i had no previous uh uh, interaction with him but i was like i'm in trouble here um and so i went to homewood i lost my career and the charges went away I had to do a, a year of, um, I had a conditional sentence. Uh, so I had a year of counseling and I would still talk to that therapist. I, I, at the time, I didn't know that we'd have the, the relationship and bond that we have. Um, but I've learned a, a lot from him. Um, I had a very, you know, I mean, a, a bit of an interesting experience with that, you know, probation system and parole officers and it's 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 a crazy world to be a part of like you're looking at how like how is anybody supposed to recover or recoup or have a a logical thought and they just you know i would ask those questions in all those processes and they'd say well sheldon you're not our typical person that's in these programs maybe you can bring something and and lift these people up and i'm like hey i'm not here for them i'm here for me like what do you not understand like i'm the one dying I'm not here to help them. Right. And I, I, you know, I, that was a recurring theme through my recovery is like, I don't understand why you guys keep telling me it's my job to help them. Like I'm, I'm obviously not okay. Why are you telling me that I'm supposed to help them? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, but through that, uh, through that court process, I ended up at Homewood in uh, February. Uh, let's see. 2013. Yeah, that, that actually makes about great sense. So, um, yep, yep, that's actually probably exactly what it was. So February 2013, I end up at Homewood. And, um, you know, I am 
I'm boggled and perplexed. <laughs> I, I could not believe what I was seeing or encountering um, or the treatment program. I was like, okay, now what's next? And they're like, this is it. I'm like, <laughs> five, five more weeks of this. They're like, yeah. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, there's got to be something else. Like, this is all like kindergarten shit. Like, when do we move on to grade two and grade three? Um, now, tongue, you know, having said that, it's taken me a decade to figure out about some of the stuff they talked about. That's, you know, I just said it's kindergarten shit. Take care of yourself. Make sure you eat healthy and regularly. Don't let yourself get run down, tired. Be very careful about your environments. And, and that, that is, I mean, you know, nursing is a horrible environment. Like you, I, for me, it would have been, I would have led me right back down the same path. And I don't understand. I mean, all the power to anybody who can do that, but I do not understand how nurses with addiction problems go back into those units and are around narcotics every day and function and are okay. Because even if they're not using, I don't know how they're not okay or how they are okay. It, it, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, I, and it's I, so dangerous because it, it if is, you yeah. screw up, you have the guilt and the shame and the means to end your life. Yeah. And that's where I, I, you know, I've, I've had this conversation with several nurses who are, uh, who've gone through this stuff and I'm like, you shouldn't go back to work. Maybe a different capacity as a nurse, that's fine. But being around, around that stuff, like it's just a bad idea. I'm sure it can be done. I'm sure there's nurses who are back to work and, and doing their very best and whatever, but I, I question how healthy it is for them. Yeah. I, I really tend to agree with that. And I think the, the default stance should be, let's get you healthy. Let's get you to a point where you can make a good decision for yourself. And then we'll talk about maybe going back to work, not yeah. let's get back, get you back to work. Like yeah. that, that's the first thing you hear when you, you go in to do a, an IME. And yeah, I, I, I feel exactly the same way about anybody who's returning to an environment where those drugs are present, myself included. I mean, it's, I, I, I know my limits better now, as far as what I can tolerate in that environment. I don't work more than three days a week. Um, and it has to be a type of environment where it's, it's not hair straight back, but it's still not good. I know it's not good. I, I shouldn't be there. Yeah, I really shouldn't be there. And maybe it's going to be different now that there's some movement towards um, they're starting to allow nurses to work uh, on Suboxone. Uh, you know, that provides at least a little bit of safeguard, but I'm telling is, you, man. Or is it just another sedative to help them tolerate that environment? Well, there, for, yeah, for sure right? it is. And, and now, I is don't, it safer? It's safer, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. It, it, I don't know. Where do you draw the line? I, I know we're way, way, way past it in healthcare. Yeah. Like the, the environment, it, the environment was insane a long time ago. Yeah. What nurses are putting up with now is how, how we're not seeing people collapse on a daily basis. I don't understand. Well, they're drinking more, right? Sure. Sure. They're drinking more. They're eating more. You just look at the unhealthy behaviors that are hitting that population. They're just not, 
crossing the lines like I chose to. So mm-hmm. they're doing it in what is socially acceptable way. They're smoking a lot more marijuana. They're, um, or sorry, using more cannabis. They're um, using alcohol at higher rates. They're sleeping more. They're zoning out into TV harder. Um, they're just losing themselves. Um, so anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back to Homewood. Um, my first uh, experience there, I, I was there for, it's a five-week program. I was there for 32 days, um, you know, uh, I met, a, I met several people that a, a couple, uh, probably one that I'm still friends with. Um, we, we keep a loose friendship. I met another great guy. Uh, he was a nurse in, uh, BC. He didn't make it. Um, I don't know if he passed away. I, I know he went back out and was using on the street. Um, I saw, you know, just the crazy stuff. Like it, it's like a, a summer camp for adults, um, who behave like children, um, you know, the, the sexual relationships, you know, people are married and they're not going home for the weekend. They're going over with somebody else. It's it. And it was, you know, they, they would talk about it. The, the, the counselors would talk about how those things were inappropriate. And you'd look and you're like, well, three quarters of the people here are doing this shit. Like, do you not see it? Or, or like they would have people use and come back to, um, come back to the the facility and they'd be like we like them it's okay they're going through stuff and like we're going to support them now if they used a second or third time i know we had one lady use a third time and they finally had to say like you got to go um but like you'd, you'd have people who you know get caught using there um the the whole thing was was chaotic and, and crazy and uh, anyway with two days left they sent me home I was like, I have two days left in this program. Why, and why are you sending me home? And they, they just said, uh, lack of therapeutic relationship. I didn't yell at anybody. I didn't get in any arguments. I didn't fight. I didn't have any relationships. Um, I was like, are you, I don't understand. They're like, well, you're asking too many questions, too much relapse behavior. You know, like, I'm like, I thought I'm here to ask questions. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. Like I'm trying to survive, right? Like, I don't know what my future is. I still thought I was going back to work as a nurse. Um, and so I'm like, I'm trying to figure this out. And I knew I had to get, get it done for court as well. I'm like, I, I was so confused and perplexed. And they, they called, uh, you weren't allowed cell phones there. Cell phones had to stay at home. So they called my partner to come pick me up. And she drove from Hamilton to Guelph, furious, she's crying the whole way. She got a speeding ticket uh, on her way up, picked me up, and I got in the car, and she was shaking and crying. And she just went up me and down me and up me and down me and just everything in the book. They wouldn't tell her why I was kicked out. Um, and I, I'm trying to tell her, like, I didn't do anything. And can you imagine an addict telling you that I, I didn't do anything? <laughs> they just don't like me. <laughs> like... Um, but I mean, and, and then that feeling of absolute rejection and worthlessness, right? Like how useless, how awful of a human am I to be kicked out of rehab? Like rehab is the place and this is not what I believe. Right. But in my head at the time, I'm like, rehab is the place for the scum of the earth, the moral degenerates. And I can't even get through that. I'm pretty useless. And I mean, I know that that's what the, the therapists there were trying to, to do, 
right? Now in hindsight, they wanted me to be unbelievably low so that I would go out and use and, and prove them right. And, you know, to, to my credit, I just didn't use. I'd already had four months of sobriety coming in uh, to rehab. I, I had drank a little bit, but I wasn't using alcohol inappropriately in any sense of the imagination. I was too sick, right? Like if I had a drink or two drinks somewhere, like while we were out on vacation or whatever, that was, that was it. I, I had no taste for being hung over at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that, that was other than, you know, that first week of being off, off narcotics, that was the lowest I, I have been in my life. Um, yeah, it was brutal. It's also important to make sure everybody understands how dangerous that is that, and that, that treatment center, particularly, uh, I know of a few people at least who have been in that situation where they're, they're close to the end, they get kicked out and, uh, the place won't even call them a cab. You know, they're from BC. They don't know, you know, they're in Guelph. They, they have no, there's no family. There's, uh, and Homewood must be aware of what the statistics are of putting somebody out there under those circumstances. You know, and I, you would think that there would be some kind of safeguard in place to prevent that as an option. Like I could see, okay, this, this facility is not working out for you. Maybe we, we can't, we don't have the resources to send you to another one, but we're going to at least check in with you. We're going to make sure that you get home to somebody who cares about you. You know, you'd think that there would be at least uh, those kind of safeguards in place, but they're not in place. And yeah. your chance of relapse and death are way higher when you're coming out of rehab, especially under the circumstances that you're talking about. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's something that, uh, that really needs to be addressed. Yeah. And it, it really bothered me. So, um, you know, I ended up back at Homewood, uh, that second time, but between the first and second time I saw, you know, half a dozen, eight people kicked out. They seemed to pick somebody every week to make an example of, um, and every week was the same story. Yeah. By the way, we heard that they used, by the way, they, they were really sick or like so-and-so, I don't know if they told us anybody died. Um, I, I know they were like, yep, yeah, so-and-so got kicked out and it, it sounds like they went out and used and so, or someone found them at a bar or whatever. And, and you look back and you're like, well, if you guys are responsible for the care of this person, you're a hospital and with, with sick people in it and, and, and you're kicking somebody out because they're whatever, they did something wrong or you don't like them or whatever the reason, you, you still have an obligation to that sick person, especially if you believe in this addiction as, a, as an illness disease model. Mm. So the very least they could do is, is move them to another unit of that giant facility, put them in its isolation somewhere, put them in an Airbnb for a day, put them in a hospital bed, put them somewhere safe where they're supported by somebody else just for until they can get a plane ticket home or a ride from wherever. Like the, the, the reality is they know that those people almost all the time are going to go out and use the first thing they're going to do because they have just been hit with a sledgehammer. They're at their lowest. And the, the way they fix addicts, the way addicted people fix their lowest and harshest feelings is by using sedating yes. those emotions. So they know they one 
110% no. And I think they actually intend for you to go and use to say like, look, we're right. You're wrong. You know, and and that's heartbreaking. That term, the lack of therapeutic relationship. Like when I hear that, I think, well, isn't that on, isn't that on the care providers? Isn't that on them? Well, especially if, if you're talking to a sick person, if you right. believe in the illness model and I'm sick, I'm here because I am very, very, very ill. I'm an addict at the bottom of my, of my usage or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sick. I'm not supposed to be easily therapeutic, <laughs> you know, like, come on. So, um, anyway, so after my first stint in Homewood, which, I mean, it was pretty, I mean, it was pretty underwhelming. It what really didn't do much. I was just like, okay, whatever. Went back. The um, I Because I had been involved in the caduceus groups, I tried to get involved in another caduceus group. And they said, nope, not right now. Okay, no problem. Um, I was involved with the court uh, stuff. And, and Alex, the therapist, was like, you need to be doing 90 12-step meetings in 90 days. So I was doing a meeting every day, maybe two. I didn't have any jobs. So, you know, why not? Um, that's when I started going down like the IME process. And, uh, you know, I was talking to the college and saying like, well, you know, what, what am I doing here? And they're like, well, your, your license, my license wasn't suspended. I wasn't, wasn't temporary suspended, nothing. Um, I, I was doing the IME. I was following their protocols. I was doing urine testing, uh, at my physician's office because they hadn't, they wouldn't put me into a, a caduceus group or put me with a rehab doctor until, or an addictions doctor until, uh, I had completed the rehab. So I was like, well, I'm just in limbo. Right. Was this court ordered all this with the monitoring at this time, or did was somehow now the hospital involved again, you're saying they didn't cancel your license or suspend your license? My license was never canceled or suspended. Uh, huh. Nobody ordered monitoring for me until after I finished my second stint of um, of uh, rehab at Homewood. Um, the union I never spoke to again after that first in- incident. The hospital I never spoke to again. Um, just the college directly. Oh, I see. Um, and so like I, I, I voluntarily went on to a urine monitoring because I was like, at least I'll have this in my back pocket. And so my doctor was like, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Call me once in a while and tell me to get my urine checked. And he was like, what? <laughs> like, <that doesn't... laughs> um, okay. Were you paying for that yourself? Oh, uh, the Ontario paid for all of it. I never had to pay okay. for a urine sample. Um, I even got VIP treatment because I had a standing order. So every time I walked in, they just, here's your cup. Yeah, I didn't have to wait in line. It was fantastic. So I had no complaints about it. Um, other than having to do it, you know, at their whim, which is inconvenient, but um, never had any positive issues. No, no problems. Um, yeah. So like I started applying for other nursing jobs in between the two, um, uh, the two things, uh, the two stints in rehab. And I got offered jobs at all three nursing jobs that I applied for a uh, surgical trauma center, uh, on a different hospital in Hamilton, um, a long-term care nursing home that they were like, wow, like you have an incredible pedigree. Like we would love to have you on our team. And then a very bad, I shouldn't say that. I have no idea. Just a, a less well-funded nursing home outside of town with no air conditioning. And it didn't look like very good work environment, 
All three of those places offered me a position. All three of those places, I said, hey, here's my situation. I had a drug use issue. I was using um, narcotics. I'm doing all of the processes. I'm clean and sober. I'm doing urine monitoring. I will comply with anything you want. I just, I need a purpose. I need to be back at work. And they all said, no problem. We'll hire you and we'll figure that out. Um, thanks for being really genuine and authentic with us. And every time within a week, I was given a phone call. Uh, sorry, we can't hire you. I even, I even showed up for my first day of training at one of the uh, long-term care homes. And then the, the day after my first day of training, maybe even got two days in. And then I got a call saying like, we can't hire you because and I, they, they didn't say it was because of that, but it was 100% because of that. Right? Yeah. They're like the manager's like, I can't tell you that it's because of that. And I can't hire you. And like, I, I wish there was more that I could do. And I wish there was more I could talk about it. I think you're fantastic and good luck. Mm. So, you know, you have an illness that you're monitoring, you're doing it. Hey, I'm diabetic, but I'm taking insulin. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm watching my diet. I'm exercising regularly. Yeah. Yeah. You're diabetic. You don't get to work for us. Yeah. Now in hindsight, way better. Okay. Like I'm glad that I didn't get those jobs. I'm glad I'm not a nurse anymore. And, and I'm very confident that if I had gone back into an environment where there was narcotics, I probably would have used again. Okay. But that is incongruent with the bullshit that you were told. Yeah. Okay. So just, just be honest, like just, just get a better path, right? Hey, you use drugs at work. That's not okay. You're not going to go back there ever. What we can do for you is this. And if you don't like this, then you're not a nurse here anymore or a yeah. nurse anywhere anymore. And that's okay. Yeah. They need to pick a lane. This yeah. is the, this is the problem. Yeah. You can't straddle the line no. where you're, you're, you're compassionate and empathetic about the fact that the person has a disease on this side and we're calling the cops, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. you can't just pick one. Yeah. I don't care and which it, one it is. No. And it's okay either way. Yeah. It really is like, you know, these, you know, I, there's a lot of members of, of the caduceus groups that I've been a part of, including yours. And some people think seem to have a bit of a sense of like, this is entitlement and they should be doing everything to support, to support me. And I don't know that it's the employer's position to do that. Like they, but they do have a, an obligation to be honest and to say, Hey, in two years, you're not going to be a nurse. So let's, let's help you move in another direction. Not let's fuck your life up for two years and then screw you up. Yeah. Right. Just be honest. Like, yeah. you know, I if you, that, if you break that, your back, you don't get to keep being a fireman. If you can't walk, you can't be a fireman. Well, if you do yeah. drugs at work as a nurse, you can't be a nurse who delivers narcotics and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so just to keep us rolling, when did you end up back in Homewood? Uh, well, whatever time Nathan, we ended up there. So it must have been the summer, June. June, yeah. Yeah. It was June 2013. Yeah. So in between then, um, I'd had my IME. And, and without going into it, I mean, the, the, the shocking thing about my IME um, was completely unprepared for the questions that they asked. Um, shocked at what they asked like sexual history sexual partners mm. um sexual preferences i was like is this guy getting off on the stuff i'm telling him like what is going on here <laughs> um and in and then in the waiting room there was a like part of the questionnaire the intake was like 
How often do you have your chakra balanced? I shit you not. The, the intake form said, how often do you have your chakra balanced? <laughs> do you believe in like crystals and like, uni- not, it wasn't crystals and unicorns, but like it was some Eastern medicine stuff that I was, I was super, super uncomfortable with. And that isn't mainstream at all. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to this insane person and he's going to give me a diagnosis of whatever he believes in chakras. I, I don't, I still today don't know what a chakra is, but it sounds foofy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. That doesn't uh, like the DSM five doesn't talk about uh, chakra balancing as part of the diagnostic oh. uh, diagnostic oh. criteria. And that's kind of what the guidelines I mean, the whole thing is set up on those guidelines. So yeah, that's, that's, that's odd. It was so odd. Uh, It was again, just such an odd experience. And like, again, told them everything probably far more than I should have. But I mean, I'm, I'm honest to a fault is probably my biggest flaw that, you know, it it, it doesn't always serve me well. Um, But I I don't lie. I can't get away with it. I just am the world's worst liar. Um, So um where where do we end up there? So this oh, led you back to Homewood. Yeah. So so they you know that I had to finish Homewood for the for the court and the legal stuff um, and for the college. So I, I went to Homewood the second time, and I just sat back and the counselors and the therapists and the doctors and everybody were kind of like, um, you know, Sheldon, you seem like you're just going through the motions. I'm like, yeah, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like. I'm not playing your game, right? I was, uh, Nathan, you and I were in the same, same uh, support group, the same uh, Mm. group, right? Mm. Um, And so like, I just sat there. I was like, yep, yes, sir. No, sir. Thank you, sir. May I have another, sir? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, praise Jesus. Let's do more 12 step. The the problem with Homewood is there's not enough 12 step meetings. You know, like whatever they wanted to hear, I said, uh, it was fine. And they're like, you know, they always ask a question, you know, how many of you are here for a reason other than to get better? I put up my hand proudly. I'm like, I'm getting through this thing with flying colors. You can send me home now. Uh, You know, at this point, I'd been clean for about six months. Um, I had drank, you know, occasionally very small amounts, which they wouldn't consider clean, which is fine. And, you know, I didn't really understand that. I still don't really. Um, But. Um, I, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough and blessed enough to, to go there. And, and I made some realizations. Number one, the first time I went through Homewood, I was still really, really, really sick. I was really confused. I couldn't put two and two together. I thought I was okay, but I wasn't, uh, that's post-acute withdrawal. And f- for me and from, from opiates, I think that's an extended period of time. I think mm-hmm. it was two, two years for me. Because after, even after Homewood and, and the next couple of years, um, I went through a lot of um, really difficult uh, mental health periods, right? I, I wouldn't call it, I, I honestly, at this point, I wouldn't call it depression or anxiety or anything like that. But like, I had trouble like leaving the house. I had trouble finding pleasure in anything. I think it was just post-acute withdrawal. I can just go right back to there. You know, the amount of dopamine that I was screwing up in my brain it took a long time for things to balance out. And I don't think that was helped by my physician who prescribed a bunch of supportive medication that I never found supportive. Like, you know, they were just sedatives that allowed me to tolerate 
things that weren't uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Yeah. And it, and that's going to be different for everybody. And again, mm-hmm. it's a situation where we just have limited tools and the amount of understanding as far as post-acute withdrawal goes is still like, it, it's painful how little we know about these conditions. Yeah, There's starting to be some improvements there and some therapies that actually, um, you know, move you to the, move you to the kind of state where your, your mind is clear. You're not as emotionally labile um, faster, but it's, uh, we really, we need to do better there. Yeah. And the, the awareness even needs to improve. Like, how could I make it through I, whatever, however many years of uh, university and, uh, you know, I, I'm, as a pharmacist, I had no, no clue what post-acute withdrawal is, but it's, it yeah. is the biggest thing. I mean, anybody can tough out a, a acute withdrawal. Like that's, anyone can be super sick for a week or two. That's, you can do that. But uh, looking down the barrel of a year or two of just feeling shitty, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's hard to cope with. And if you don't know it's coming, that makes it all the worse. And, and it doesn't get, it doesn't get drilled home. It doesn't, it, you know, even at when you leave there, hey, man, just remember, you got two years to get your head straight. You're really sick. You're still mm-hmm. really sick. Like, and, and just, you know, keep drilling it in. Like you're in this post-acute phase, like your brain is rewiring itself. Make sure that you're doing the right stuff to rewire it properly. Yeah. And not so, to discourage, I don't want to discourage people out there. It's not, there's no set amount of time. Some people are lucky they get through, they can use a tremendous amount of narcotics and be through post-acute in, in a matter of months. Um, other people, it takes a long time. It's just a, I think it's a genetic variable. And then, uh, like you said, Sheldon, it's, it's, how well you're treating yourself, how fast you bounce back depends on your nutrition, your, your, uh, exercise, all, all those types of things. Yeah. Your environment. Yeah. Um, so you know what, going back to Homewood the second time, it was probably one of the greatest blessings, uh, I've received in my recovery. Um, you know, you guys have touched on it that like the 30 day program immediately after detox is just insane. Right. So going back and taking it all in again, with a very different perspective. So the first time I was very restless, very agitated, trying to figure it out. I was scared. I was dying. I was, you know, in, in, I was panicky. I was anxious. Um, the second time going in and I, I was so amazing to just look across the room and see you, Nathan, and look at that mirror. It was like a time machine. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, this guy is really uncomfortable. He's really emotional. I was like, I know what's going on. He's me two months ago. And, uh, and I, I stayed back away cause I didn't know how you were going to receive it. Cause you're, you're pretty agitated. You're a pretty big guy. And I was like, I don't need a conflict. That's, mm-hmm. that's genuinely how irritated I could see that you were. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't need to get kicked out because I get into an argument with this guy. I was mad. And, yeah. A hundred percent. And I remember we ended up talking about some people, some things, or we ended up in a situation with a couple people around us. And I said, look, man, if you want, I'll tell you my opinion. You were like, yeah, go for it. It's like, this is the game. And, you know, I'm here to get healthy or I was here to get healthy and I'm doing good and I'm doing this and I'm doing this, but this is just an obstacle in your way. This is not the cure. And I'd encourage you just for what it's worth, sit back, take it in and, and understand that, that you're, you're not going to get better from, from being here. Um, but do what you want. 
keep, keep going down the path you're going down. Cause you resisted that conversation. And I was like, Hey man, it's totally up to you. But if you keep doing this, they're going to toss you. So you figured out I'm here for you. If you need me, see you later. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I was terrified of you. <laughs> like in a good way. Right. I, I was, I wasn't scared. You were going to punch me or anything like that, but I was like, I don't want a conflict with somebody in here. I cannot be kicked out again. This will destroy my life. But I had enough insight at that time that I didn't have two months before that. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I remember like you got to come because you were from BC, they let you come to my house for the weekend. I don't even know if you, I don't know if you said you're going to a hotel or if you were allowed to come to my house. Uh, no, I think they allowed that after a period of time. I think so too. And I was like, this is recovery. And we went for a walk in the forest Mm -hmm. and we, we played with my dogs and I was like, this is what, this is what it's about. It's not that shit. Yeah. It's like, if if you want to go to a meeting tonight, we can go to a meeting. I know 20 meetings that are happening today, but this is what fills my bucket. Yeah. That's when I started to understand that too. I, I was looking for you know, I think all of us have that kind of proactive, you know, we're, we're people who we've we got an academic background or we're, uh, we're fairly driven. And when, when a problem arises like that, you want to fix it. You want to go after it. You want to get mm-hmm. it. And this problem is one where I think there's just a set amount of kind of time that you need to process and what I noticed there was that the processing and the positive, the, the positive things I was getting out of that treatment were all to do with the connections I was making with people who were genuine and people yeah. who were, who were there to, they were, they were seeing the situation for what it was. They saw it with clear eyes. It wasn't this course that you were going to take and come out the other side with some sort of a diploma and yeah, away you go. It was a, a different thing. And that's, and I, I'll always be grateful that, uh, that you did that uh, because I, I'm pretty sure I would have got kicked out that first time. I don't know what would have happened. Um, you know, I, I, I probably would have, been, I, I'd been, I, I'd been off hard opiates for quite some time uh, before going in there. So I wasn't like, it wasn't a, a detox situation. But, you know, I still felt like shit and I, I was looking for answers. And had you not been there, I don't know. I, that would have been a, a, a different uh, path for sure. For sure, right? And I remember, you know, just saying, just sit back and take it in instead of trying to process it. And, and you did. I remember sitting in the, in the, in the smoke pit and, mm-hmm. and having cigars. And, and we're just like, just watch this insanity and you're watching what's happening around you. And you're like, can you believe this? Mm -hmm. And like, did you know that that person's fucking that person and that person's doing this thing? Mm -hmm. And you, you totally pivoted in the matter of a couple of days and you, I mean, you didn't become a caregiver, but like you, you stopped being someone searching for answers and just became a spectator. I, I don't know exactly right, the right words and terminology oh. for it, but like you got involved in like other people's worlds, right? You've yeah. talked about one of the girls that we met and her horrible situation. Mm. You got really involved in her world and, and, and you started seeing people for the bullshit that they were talking, like the, the patients as well. Mm. And you're like, you're crazy or like, you're just childish in your thinking. Mm. Um, 
you know, I, I'm just going to distance myself from you. And you surrounded yourself with the right people, obviously, because we're, we're great friends. And, um, and, and, and you got through it. Mm-hmm. Right. I still and- like, uh, Sheldon, <laughs> one of the first things I've ever about, uh, well, we'd been friends already for a little bit, but I came up from the basement. Uh, they, they only let you work out like very little. So you had to get in there at the right times and stuff. But I'd left my, my sweater in one of the rooms prior that uh, morning. And I come up there and Sheldon is wearing my sweater and he's like putting on a show in the main, like, entertainment room there pretending that he's me and he's walking around all fucking pissed off and like kicking things and everything. And I'm just standing out there watching this and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty accurate. It's kind of beautiful that like what you were teaching Nathan, or at least what I, what I'm getting from this is that the, there's an amount of surrender where it's like, just letting go of, of that need for it to be linear, the need to kind of try to control it and to, to resist all of the, all of the garbage that is, that is kind of, you're getting inundated with. And it's in doing that, that, that you kind of make room for what is actually therapeutic, right? Like, like, like you like, like you guys are saying, like the relationships, like nature, yes. like yeah. petting a dog, like, looking at the leaves on the ground, whatever it may be for, for the individual, but that resistance to the process interferes with your ability to actually heal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't fight it. You know, like if you're going to go in there and you're going to try to fight your way to the finish line. And that's generally my, my default when I'm really, you know, I'm in a situation where I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm I'm generally going to fight first and ask questions later. And uh, that was not working. You know, it was, uh, it wasn't serving any purpose. I was burning all sorts of energy for, for no purpose. And yeah, Sheldon saw that and he's, it just, uh, yeah, there, there's something to it. I mean, it's, it's, there's a certain amount of it that you have to let happen. You just can't, you can't proactively be involved to a certain extent, but you can't totally let go either because the industry is so fraught with nonsense that if you just, open yourself up to everything, you know, your brain's going to fall out basically because it's, <laughs> it, there's just, just so many, there's so much poor information. Yep. So Sheldon, after you, when you were in, in home with the second time there or, or how soon after that, did you realize, okay, it's my career is not a viable option any longer. My nursing career. Yeah. So I guess that that would have been the end of June. Right. And, uh, very shortly after, um, after getting out of that program, I found out that my partner and I were pregnant uh, with our first son and, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting, an interesting period of my life. And I was like, I don't know if this is the best time to have a child, you know, are you sure you want to do this? And, and she was like, I'm all in. And I was like, okay, then so am I. And quickly I, I changed gears, right. I, I kicked it up a notch. Um, I did whatever I was told to do with recovery. At that point I was in caduceus groups. I was in touch with the college. I was doing everything I needed to do. I was right back into renovating houses. Um, I was working, uh, working for a contractor, 
because I was I couldn't just sit around anymore. I thought that was ridiculous. Like even that, I, I think that a huge part of recovery is getting active in another field. We're getting active in any field, but you've got to do something. The sitting around is so unhealthy for one's uh, mind and soul and heart mm-hmm. for that matter. Um, so I was working for another contractor and I was like, I was like, my, my partner was like, he's screwing you on money. You know that and I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Like I'm just need to be out of the house. And like, you know, uh, to be honest, I, I wasn't the best employee. Cause I'd be like, I don't want to work on Friday. I'm going fishing. And he'd be like, you well, we've got stuff to do. I'm like, I don't care. Then fire me. Like, <laughs> I, I don't need your money. You're screwing me on paychecks. Um, you've got other guys. Like, I, I don't care. Um, I'm taking care of me a little bit. Right. And he was, he was pretty reasonable, even though he was irritated by it. It was fine. Um, but uh, so I went through and I was doing, I was such a good little student, man. Like I, I, I did my urine test when I was told I never missed anything all my everything dotted all my eyes crossed all my t's i still thought i was going back to nursing um uh and then we had our son um and i i couldn't have been happier um i i did another whole year of being on monitoring after that um because we we ended up getting uh and I, and I was just i was just doing contracting um and we ended up we ended up ha- in may i guess it, it's a it's my it was my wedding anniversary two days ago which is funny um, i've been trying to get divorced from this person for five years so <laughs> i had a good chuckle when facebook reminded me of that uh the other night um so we we got married in in mexico nathan was there and I had my one-year-old son with me and some great friends. And, uh, and I got back from, from the, the wedding and uh, I, got, I had a rash, like full body rash. And I had taken Ventolin and uh, antihistamine. And as soon as I got home, I went to Emerge and I was like, hey, I've got this rash. I can't, I'm having trouble breathing. And, and then I went to my next Caduceus meeting and they strung me up. And I was like, what are you talking about like i've never had an issue here at all and they're like well your urine came back positive for this 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 you missed uh two urines last week and like we're so concerned about your behavior and i was like i would told everybody here like i've been telling you that i'm getting married in mexico well why were you getting married in mexico so so you could use drugs what no because i wanted to get married in mexico because my family is from all across canada it doesn't make sense to fly them to Hamilton or us to fly our Hamilton friends to somewhere else. Like this just made sense. Um, we didn't have to put in any work. We just showed up. Everything was done for us. Like we got, we got to party for a week with our friends. We, that fishing trip, we got that huge sailfish, like mm-hmm. made amazing memories. It was just awesome. There's no drinking. There's no drug use. There is nothing. Well, you came back positive for antihistamine. Yeah, this giant rash that I have a, uh, an eMERGE report and I couldn't breathe. What do you want me to do on the plane? Like, You have to have a doctor's order to take antihistamine. And they're just all piling on. I'm like, you guys are nuts. Like, you're literally nuts. And he's like, okay, so we're, we're going to, and you, and you missed your urines. I, and I was just like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I've been clear for the last six months that I was planning this wedding. I've told you guys here, nobody ever brought it up as an issue. You, I wasn't in Canada. Where did you want me to do my urines? 
Like, <laughs> and I did a urine before I left and I did a urine as soon as I got back within mm-hmm. like 24, 48 hours max. And, and the only thing that was in it was antihistamine, which I told them I took. <laughs> and so they're like, well, we're moving you backwards and we're really on your urine monitoring program. And we're really worried about this. We're really worried about that. And I just said, I've had it with you guys. Like you're nuts. So I, I still went for like another month or two. Um, I had gotten my real estate license um, just before that. Um, I got my real estate license because I got a blood clot in my lung, totally at random. And um, I, couldn't, I couldn't do renovations. I couldn't do anything. Um, so I got my real estate license while I planned our Mexican wedding. And, uh, and I, I really didn't want to sell real estate. I was just going to uh, sell the houses that we were flipping. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I don't need you. I don't need this nursing BS. I like, I don't even know what I want to go back to, but it, it was giving up all of those. It, it was giving up that identity and it mm-hmm. was giving up who I had become. You know, I, I think nurses in particular identify themselves as a nurse instead yeah. of like, I'm a person and I work oh, as a man. nurse. Like, we have a joke in uh, in pharmacy. For some reason, um, one of my colleagues years ago noticed this. And every other healthcare professional, even doctors, when they come into the pharmacy, you don't know they're a doctor. They'll even they'll let you do your spiel, whatever. They they don't unless they're actually there to write a prescription. They don't tell you. Yeah. They don't care. You don't. You know. It's just. I don't know what it is. Vets they don't say anything. Dentists don't say anything. Other pharmacists they they won't even say anything most yeah. of the time. But a nurse, yeah. every <laughs> wow. single time they come in, yeah. they have to get that in the conversation somehow. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Vegans, vegans, CrossFitters, and nurses. Like the, <laughs> the evil trinity, I tell you. Yeah. It's um, just, yeah. it's remarkable. Yeah. But it's so it got, consistent. Again, I love nurses. I have zero issues with nurses, but it's a unique oh, awesome. thing where they, they walk around and they're like, yeah, you know they're a nurse. So um, the identity piece is is, is real. Huge. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And 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 looking at it and saying like, I'm giving up all these things that I'm good at. I'm giving up all of the effort and money and time that I've put into obtaining these degrees. You know, like I, I that was the heartbreaking thing. That was that was really what I had trouble giving up. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm just done. And then I, I really dug into the renovations harder and the herniated disc in my back was, you know, telling me I, I shouldn't keep doing that. So I had a ton of pain uh, from a herniated disc. I have referred pain and numbness in my hands and I'm telling my doctor, Hey, I've got all this pain from my back. It goes into my hands. And he's like, Oh, you want narcotics? No, sir. I don't want narcotics. I need a fix. Can I have a surgery? Can I do this? Can I do that? No, you're a junkie. No, I'm not a junkie. I need a fix. That actually, that came up when I ended up in the hospital with a blood clot. I, I go back. That's an interesting story. I'll take a minute. I go to the hospital. I go to emerge and I'm like, Hey, I'm having trouble breathing and I'm in a ton of pain. And they do some assessments and they're like, you're a drug addict. Get out of here. I'm like, what? Like where I don't even know how this got into my file, how mm-hmm. they found this stuff out. But I'm like, they're like, you're fine. 
and they sent me home and I was like, I'm, I'm really not fine, but I, I don't know what the pain is. So, okay. I left. And, and the next day the pain was unbearable. I ended up, I was taking my dog to a vet in a nearby town and I end up in the emerge there. And I'm like, I'm in agony. Like, I'm serious. Like I'm having a heart attack. Like, I don't know what's going on. You got to help me. And they take, they take me kind of serious. But one of the nurses that was on staff there was a nurse that I worked in Hamilton with who knew about my drug issue. And as soon as she saw me, she went up to the doc and said, you know, whispered in his ear and everything changed. And uh, he said, you know, we've done what we've done. You, you, you know, you really shouldn't be here. You're not even from this area. He, he was giving me the, you're an addict, get out of here speech. And I said, I looked at him and like, my wife is in tears. My son's with me. You know, this is not, he's hungry. He's, he's you know, I guess he would have been like six months old at the time. And I looked at the doctor and I said, if you send me home and I die, she's going to sue you for every fucking thing you in this hospital have. I know that that nurse over there told you I'm an addict. I had problems. I have done nothing and I am in huge amount of pain and I can't breathe and I'm not okay. Figure it out. And like, I was stern. I don't think I was aggressive, but I was very stern. I was like, she will sue you if I die. I'm not okay. Don't send me home. And so they end up sending me for a spiral CT scan and saw a pretty substantial blood clot in my lung. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Here's all the narcotics. And I was like, I don't even want narcotics. Like, what do you, what do you do? I'm just in horrible pain and like blood thinners and everything else. Right. And he's like, you need to follow up with these people. And I went to my physician. He's like, you're high. And I'm like, yeah, I'm high. I'm in agony. I went to emerge because I was in agonizing pain. They sent me home. I showed up the next day again in incredible amounts of pain. Like you have to understand the fear and the, the shame and the, 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 like the conversations I know I'm going to have going into an emerge at that time. And like, I'm here not for narcotics. I'm here because I'm really, really, really sick. Something's not okay. Um, so I end up uh, with that a couple of days later, I call him, I'm driving. I'm like, Hey doc, I'm having trouble breathing. Like I'm in so much pain. And he's like, you're not getting more narcotics. Like go back, go to the hospital. I'm like, well, they're going to treat me like this and this, like, he's like, you're not getting more narcotics. I'm like, well, I'm scared to go back. They're going to just, if you have problem, you got to go to the emerge. That was his attitude. I went to emerge and they're like, oh yeah, you have a plural effusion now which is, you know, uh, fluid surrounding my lung on my left side, compressing my heart. And they're like, we need to admit you because we need to double your, and your blood clot's gotten bigger over like four days. We need to admit you so we can increase your anticoagulant and monitor you in case this is blood and not just, um, serous fluid, uh, in, in, in between your lung and, and crushes your heart or you bleed out and die. And, and they just treated me like, no, you're just a junkie. Even when I came back to emerge. And so now, now I'm back on the ward, they've got me medicated and I'm, I'm resting comfortably. And the, the doctor walks in and is like, well, we're decreasing your pain meds. And I was like, why I'm in so much pain. This is the first sleep I've had in four days. What are you doing? well, you don't need pain meds. And I, I started crying and she's like, you can't get what you want just from crying. And I'm like, bitch, 
do you understand that this is like the second time I've cried in the last 10 years? Like, do you, do you know anything about me and what I'm going through? Like I'm in here and you guys are telling me I'm insane that nothing's wrong with me, even though there is quantifiable objective evidence that I have a, a plural embolus and now a plural effusion. And you have admitted me because I am at a risk of dying, genuinely a risk of dying. And you're still telling me there's nothing wrong with me and I'm just a junkie. That it's one of the most painful experiences I've ever had. And, and even my, my partner was like, I, 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 like, she's standing there bewildered. Like, Sheldon, they're telling me you're fine. I'm like, yeah, but on my report, you, it says I have these problems. Yeah, but there's, she's saying that there's no pain associated with that. But the, I mean, the evidence is abundantly clear. Blood clots hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pleural yeah, yeah. effusions yeah, hurt. And they cause a lot of anxiety when you can't breathe. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't know, man. That, that was wild. So, Stigma is so powerful. That's wild. Yeah. What a journey. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess uh, it takes us back to um, getting my real estate license and, and giving up on the whole nursing thing. Um, I had a lot of shame uh, around uh, the addiction stuff. So I did my very best to hide it. Um, and now I, I kind of wear it as a, a badge of honor. And uh, I, I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really successful. And um, Can you tell us a few things about uh, what you do now? Uh, because obviously you've got a, you, your life is, is quite challenging in that you've, you've got three children, you've, uh, you've got a business that's a tremendous amount of responsibility. You, uh, you're doing very well and that's awesome. But that, I think there's a, a, a level of, you know, commitment that comes with that. So you're doing all these things. Um, and what happens when I, uh, you know, you, everybody continues to have stress. Everyone continues to have troubles in life. What kind of yeah. things are you doing now that are important to you to keep you kind of on the right track? So I, I think to answer that question, it's important to rewind a little bit with the last, you know, five years um, since I, since I got my real estate license and started working. Um, it hasn't been a smooth path. Um, you know, the, the stress of this career is not unlike the stress of any other career. Um, it, it's, it's when working seven days a week, you know, I'm on call. People need to get a hold of me. They have questions. You're taking care of client needs. And that's important to be successful that you're, you're around for that. Um, there's a lot of networking and socializing. And that comes with a, a, a lot of restaurant environments and bar environments, a lot of alcohol at these events. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't say I've ever lost myself in alcohol over the last five years but I certainly have drank more than I'm comfortable with or drank more regularly. Um, I ended up, uh, my, we had a second baby and um, my partner got some, some pretty bad um, mental health issues after that. And I, we couldn't stay together. Um, and, and so I have a divorce that, that I'm, that's very, very traumatic and, and problematic and um, it causes a lot of issues. I've, I've got, um, leaving that relationship, I had massive financial issues. Um, you know, divorce is really hard on anybody. Um, I had to, um, 
you know, as a, as a, a single dad uh, and somebody who had had addiction issues, I've had to prove myself to have access to my own children. Now I've had access the entire time, but it's not, it's not exactly how I would like it to be. It's, it's, you know, I see my kids half the time. Um, it's just not where it should be without going into the weeds on that. Um, so my life is still very stressful. It's not smooth. I, I have a new partner. We have a daughter. And so raising a, a, a little one, you know, our, our, our little girl's three and a half with her brother's half time. And, um, it's been challenging. And then COVID, right? Like just when you think you're, you're climbing up, you're doing okay. Um, COVID happens and you're locked up. And during the time I was locked up, I ate too much. I put on 30, 40 pounds. I, I drank too much. Um, I just, you know, you, but it's, I don't think these things are unique to addicts. Everybody suffers them and they, they just fill that void in, in whatever way they do. Right. And maybe we're more susceptible or we fill it in less healthy ways. Um, so, it, you know, it, it hasn't been always the smoothest path, but I made a decision um, and I have a business coach who who is becoming a wonderful friend of mine. Um, and, you know, he's he really he really, really, really pushed me to take care of myself first. And uh, he gave me some books uh, from Ryan Holiday to read. Um, Ego is the enemy, stillness is the key, and the obstacle is the way. And in reading those three books, I have such an incredible um, perspective on life. I I think everybody should should really jump into those Ryan Holiday books um, because you know it's 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 just changed who I am over the last nine months an incredible amount. Um, I'm building habits that build on top of other positive habits and it, it pushes out the space for negative behaviors because they cannot live in the same space. Um, uh, because of the exercise, I have to take better care of myself. And then I show up better for my, my family, my friends, my clients, my business. And then I have less downstream problems because I'm taking care of everything upstream. Right. Um, I have more energy because I'm eating better and I'm, I'm still fighting this battle, right? Like uh, my goal is, is zero alcohol. And right. And so I share in that caduceus meeting that, that you guys have graciously let me be a part of. I'm frustrated that zero is a hard goal for me to hit. I wish I could just not pick up a, a beer on a Friday afternoon, but I love having a beer on a Friday afternoon at the patio. And I beat myself up over those two beers. Now, after those two beers, I go home, I hang out with my family, I have a nice dinner, and then I go and meet a good friend of mine. We do 10 sets of the Hamilton stairs. It's 3,000 stairs. And then I go for a five-kilometer walk, and I get home around 11.30. And I'm up at 5.30 a.m. hanging out with my family. I'm going and watching sunsets with my sons, drinking hot chocolate, watching My Little Pony. You know, like these these experiences, they, they they can live in the same space right? Like I can, I can have a beer, but I've been so ingrained that it's evil or it's wrong or, or that I can't do that because of who I am. Yeah. I I think that there is some definite impact there. And uh, I've watched you over the last, well, a few years, but especially over the last year where 
I think before you were saying, you were saying what you wanted to do as far as I'm going to put myself first, I'm going to do this kind of stuff, but I, I wasn't seeing it. And I was seeing you were really, really struggling. And then something clicked and you, I think you saw that it was actually the more efficient way of, of living your life where you're, you're concentrating on making sure that you're in as good a shape as possible for the people you care about and you've done it. Yeah. So yeah. And the, the residual things like whether or not it's uh, okay to have a couple of beer, you know, these are things that people, you're going to figure it out. You know, every, uh, everybody's got a, a line and, and it's unfortunate that, you know, again, it's a stigma. It's a residual of antiquated belief systems where everything is all or nothing, black or white. That's not how life works. You know, no, it's always shades of gray. And, yeah. um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's been, it's been remarkable because you, you, you have resources, but you also work really, really hard and, uh, yeah, it's quite inspirational. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I owe it to, to the, the people I surround myself with, to, to my environment, you know, the people that are there, Nathan, you're one of those people, right? Um, your podcast that that's an environment it's a space that's really um it gives me a lot of insight so even though we can't connect as much as it would be great um we both run busy lives like i can connect with you there and i don't agree with everything you discuss but i i agree with much more than i disagree with and 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 we're all just on a path right like mm-hmm. um you know my my coach he he sent me something when i, I was beating myself up on, on me he's like man, you need to have some grace with yourself. Be patient. He's like, you haven't met who you're becoming yet. Right? Like you're, you're just on this journey. Um, and I, I love, again, I, I'm reading, I'm even reading those Ryan holiday books with, I'm not plugging them by the way. He's just, it is just, I think they're so great. Um, uh, the, I'm reading the one with my son right now. Cause he's very much like me. He's a very busy, very active kid. Um, and so we're reading stillness is the key and it's way over his head, but he gets the important parts. And then, you know, honestly, I love watching Kung Fu Panda with him because Kung Fu Panda is the answer to everything, right? It's like Zen and, and Chi and wisdom. Like you just got to listen to Ugwe. <laughs> so like <laughs> we're, we're watching it the other morning, it's five 30 in the morning and him and I are sitting down there and he's just watching it. And I'm like, you know, enjoying my, my quiet morning time with him. And he's like, dad, Uguay's talking about what we read in the book last night. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, man, he is right. And like, but because, because I'm sober, because I didn't drink the night before I get up at five 30 in the morning, I feel really good. And I sit there with him. I'm, I'm present. And that fills my heart. It fills my heart. Like you can't believe. And then, and then the other stuff doesn't get to me during the day and I don't feel a need to, to drink or drug or whatever. Right. And so I think like a big part of our recovery is, is protecting, protecting ourselves, filling our buckets with all of this positive stuff that is all around us. Um, and being really careful about the negative stuff we allow to impact us. Yeah. You know, and, and I was going to ask you, it, it, it crossed my mind about two minutes ago to ask you about gratitude and what the role that gratitude has been for you. And I think you're at, you're, you're answering it as, as you were speaking there about that, that living in, in gratitude or just like being aware of the, uh, of these good things and these little 
beautiful moments and things that fill us up, that there is much less space for that negativity to come in when you, when that, when, when we pay attention to the things that we have to be grateful for. Right. That's it. And, and when you're sedated, you can't take that stuff in your, your vision is just so narrow. It is. Mm, Right. And so I found that when I, and again, this is speaking for me personally, when I was put on the anti-anxiety meds and the antidepressants, I wasn't on anything very strong. I was just on the, you know, whatever, the gen generic weak crap that they give every selexa um and I, you know here something's wrong with you take this um and and i was like there was just no peripheral vision you're just tunneled down and you can't let that in and i, I remember that's one of the biggest biggest and scariest things i had in, in my addiction was i remember walking outside one day and it was beautiful and the sun was shining and i was so excited no, I, shouldn't, eh. I was so excited. I walked outside and I, I couldn't feel the sunshine on my skin. And it was just like just heartbreaking. Yeah. Right. But it, it's those things like I've got a great tan. This, this to me is terrifying to be on here with you guys today. Right. So this morning I got up at five 30 and I went and golfed a round of 18 holes with a good friend of mine. And I got myself centered and grounded. I got a whole bunch of sunshine. I drank a whole bunch of water didn't drink a drop last night, got a good rest, you know, and, and I'm much, much more present for this conversation than I'd be if I, if I was a little bit hungover. Yeah. Right. Another yeah. A wonderful memory was getting, I, my son asked me one night, it was probably a year ago, maybe Canada long weekend or the May two, four dad, can we go and watch fireworks? And before I had a chance to say no, I was like, why not? I haven't drank anything. I haven't drugged anything. I, I feel good. Let's go. Let's go. And he has that memory. And like, he's like, daddy, when can we go do this? When can we do it, do it again? And, and I don't know. It's, that's my, that's Popeye spinach to me. Right. Yeah. It, it just feels so good. You, you can't take me down when, when I have that around me. I had a, a really tough conversation with somebody important in my life uh, on Friday. And, and the end of the conversation didn't go well. And um, my daughter was at a table at, at the, the restaurant nearby. And she came over and just sat on my lap. And I was like, I'm okay. Right? Like, she, that's what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. I, I know my purpose. And, and having, you know, you, whatever I do in real estate, no matter how successful or big our business comes or money we make, like, I use that for opportunity for my children. And, and that's my driving force. I don't care. I don't need, I'm not Scrooge McDuck. I don't need a whole bunch of money in a vault. The more I make, the more I'll give back, right? The, the more opportunities my children have, the more that I will teach them to, to support other children who are less fortunate and, and, and do that. I mean, I come from a very unforgiving environment. I don't know how else to say it, right? Um, but I, I think like that's the, the driving factor is like, what, what can we give out? How can we make the world a better place? And, and it starts looking inside and just taking care of yourself. And then when you do that, you just start giving and you give to as many people around you as you can. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome. Well said. And that's, hey. that's, the, that's, the, that's creating sustainability there, right? Like that, 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 ensures that we continue to fill 
fill ourselves up with that and that it doesn't become like this this one way well that that doesn't sort of regenerate itself and so so yeah i I think that's a great um oh just a great insight to 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 say that you got to that place and learn that that of like how to how to kind of keep this going uh it's awesome it's like a spiritual ecosystem you know if you've got it set up properly it kind of runs itself right but i mean (laughs) setting it up and maintaining it is uh is the main thing, but yeah, man, that's, that's uh, Nathan. That's the trick. I think I really do think it is. And and so, you know, again, I've, I've listened to you and talked to you so many times and, and I come from a place that's really similar um, with mindset for whatever reason, really negative, really judgy, um, really impacted by the nonsense I see in the world around me mm-hmm. or like, you know, the injustice to, to people and places that you just, this doesn't make sense. Like, am I, and I know I've asked you before. I'm like, am I insane? Like, I really feel like I'm insane in this world. And you're like, no, bro, like you are not the insane person. Like people who don't have a problem with what's going on, that's insanity. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the, but the more that I focus on building these from a, a scientific perspective, I think I, I have no evidence whatsoever, but the more I focus on building these healthy pathways and looking for gratitude instead of looking for the negativity and immersing myself in like happy, positive stuff. Like I listen to the silliest music. I I've got pitch perfect soundtrack playing on my, uh, on my car right now is amazing. <laughs> you should try it. Uh, <laughs> I get teased about it all the time, right? <laughs> like Megan Trainer is my girl. Like, <laughs> so between podcasts and like absolutely silly music, like I'm having a blast, and and I just keep building those those pathways, and I need that happiness and joy. And look at I golf once once sometimes twice a week. I run like I'm my with my coach, uh, uh, my business coach, mind you, not a personal trainer. This is my business coach, 250 workouts this year. That's what his expectation is of me. I got, I'm, I'm behind a couple. So, I, you know, but even those workouts, like I don't go to the gym. The gym doesn't really fill my bucket. It doesn't make me happy. I go to yoga. That makes me happy. I go and run the stairs outside. That makes me happy. I go and run uh, or go for a bike ride or chase my kids. That makes me happy, really happy. So like, I don't know, got to put some, uh, one of the, one of the things we, we, we talk about in uh, real estate is, you know, we lean on our, our friends and our sphere for, for real estate business. So we say, you've always got to make a bunch of deposits with your friends and family and sphere before you ask them for something like, Hey, let me do all these things for you. And then maybe if you know somebody, you can help me too, right? Make the deposits before you make a withdrawal. How stupid do are we that we just don't turn that around on ourselves? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. on the bank of Sheldon, I better make some deposits if I'm going to make all these withdrawals because <laughs> I get into the red pretty fast and that's yeah. not a good place to be. You can't run it like that. No. Wow. That was a wicked analogy. I'm so That was. That was good. <laughs> You're on fire, brother. You're on fire. It's <laughs> uh, awesome. Um. Yeah, I, I I think you uh you got through those questions really really well, man. It's uh there's a ton of great information in there. And uh even some uh I put together a couple of things there that I've never thought of before. Um uh, yeah, great stuff, man. 
I think that's going to help some folks. Yeah, that's that's why I you know that's why I'm doing it. it there's no ego in this for me at all. Um, you know, I was sharing with my friend this morning that uh, this again, this is very uncomfortable for me. I, I wasn't hesitant to do it, but it, it's just uncomfortable. Mm. And he's like, "But think of the the person that you're going to help today." Yeah. Right. Um, you know, the nurse who's considering a different profession, just go do it. Stop mm-hmm. the nonsense. Just go. It's worth mm-hmm. it. There's yeah. a lot to, there's a, there's a million things you can do. You don't have to do this. And this is going back is so dangerous. Yeah. And, and the obstacles there are, are, they're meant to kind of hurt you. Right. That's just the sadness of it is as much as you might find somebody who's great in a union or the college or, or have a great manager who cares, the system is meant to hurt you. You even, you know, it's, it's just not safe. I remember, you know, when you first started your, um, your Facebook group in Obsidian, you asked me to join up and, and I did. And somebody in there posted, um, you know, we do recover or something like that. And I was like, yeah, but you also die. And they were super mad at me for saying that. And I was like, I was like, look, I'm not being an asshole. I'm being real. So it's okay. If you, if you're that person who can go back and you can do it, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But also like you could die. And, and, you know, one of we, one of the statistics that they do, they do follow and that that they, they share at Homewood is healthcare professionals. If they relapse, they have a much higher rate of, of death because they know how to do it and they're intentional about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I've seen it in practice. I mean, I I've seen it with obsidian. I've, I've, I've heard the stories uh, directly from the people, uh, you know, it, there's no, there's no two ways about it. You know, you, I, I just think that uh, it deserves a lot more consideration than we're giving it right now. That's all. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, I mean, there's, there's people who th- that is going to be the right decision. You know, they're going to be able to go back and they're going to be okay. Um, but man, that can't be the default. I think it, uh, you really have to look at it carefully. Yeah. You know, and, I, I wanted to add just quickly, Sheldon, that I was, I've been so excited about this episode about having your story shared and your, your approach to, to, to say that there, there are other options. There is another way out of this. Um, and that, and that there's liberation, <laughs> there's liberation and there is choice. And, you have helped me directly. And when you started coming back to Nathan's group, you added, you added that voice to the discussion that, wait a second, there are, there are, and Nathan, Nathan has been a proponent of that as well, but you were a living example of a nurse specifically who, who said, you know what? No, my identity isn't attached to this. There is a way out of this. And it was a, a voice that I really needed to hear. And that has been, has been inspiring for me, as I've, as I've looked outside of the profession and realized that this is, you know, as all of these other doors, and I kind of waited for more doors to close to realize it, but seeing, seeing your story, hearing that, that um, those lessons that you took, it did help me. So I'm, my hope is that there are other people who are seeing some of those doors close and thinking like, what do I do now? And, and to see that there's, yeah, that there's just, there is autonomy to be had. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what I would say, if anybody 
goes through that and, and, and does, they are inspired or it changes something like give some feedback, right? Because this stuff's scary for, for someone like me to do, but if I know that I help somebody, I'm going to be more inclined to do it again. And, yeah. and it's, you know, not just for me, but for other people, if this stuff's helping, then, then, then support the people that are, that are helping you just, just yeah. with a kind word. Yeah. Right? Cause yeah, it's hard to put yourself us. out there. Um, let us know, uh, if you do watch on YouTube, uh, please leave a comment. It, uh, it really helps us know what's working, what's not, and kind of keeps us on track. Yeah. Uh, or if not, just send us an email. We appreciate that too. But uh, I think we can leave it there, gentlemen. What do you think? Yeah, agreed. I mean, agreed. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for doing this, Sheldon. You knocked it out of the park. I love it. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Thank you, Sheldon. Thanks, Nathan. Okay. You guys are very welcome. Thank you so much. Next time, guys. Take care. Thanks, you too.